Nintendo Podcast. We are a monthly video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related topics. I am your host, Nice1983. And I am your Pokemon Go obsessed co host, Mario After Party. And guys, first I want to say it's been a long time since we just did a regular episode of the Splat Zones. We've been doing so many episodes of the Pokemon Corner that we're like, whoa, we got to take a break. So we're back, a couple week hiatus, but. We're, we're rejuvenated. We're ready to get into this. So let's go ahead and break this down. Nintendo is a company that has IP that is transcendent of the video games they are born out of. This is some, something most other video game companies cannot achieve. From characters like the Mario Brothers to the Squid Sisters, Nintendo has designed beloved characters that can appear in any genre and on any product. Today we're going to talk about Nintendo and their status as pop culture icons what they have done in the past, what they have done in the present, and what they're going to do in the future. But before we do all of that, you know we got to do the Nintendo News Report. But even before that, After Party, how are you feeling after the break, man? Yeah, you know, it, it gave us some time to uh, get this episode ready and enough time for uh, quite a few interesting uh, things in the news to come out, which we'll be talking about later, so it's good. All right, and with that, let's go ahead and get into the Nintendo News Report. So, tomorrow morning, man, or tomorrow afternoon, 3 p.m., there's going to be a Nintendo Direct. It's been a while since we had a Direct. It's uh, been a long time. I think the last one we had was the Pokemon Direct, right? That was back yeah. in March. Yeah, it has been a long time. Um, so, it'll, and it'll be interesting because they're going to focus on the 3DS, so I'm sure that we'll we'll get some more Pokemon news, but we're going to get a lot of news about um, basically their holiday lineup and about all the games that are coming out this season. I find it weird, though. Like, to be honest, thinking about what franchises haven't come out on the 3DS. I mean, we just got a Metroid game. You know, we had a Star Fox game at launch. You know, we've even had Street Fighter games. Like, what games are left, you know, for Nintendo to play with? Um we just had a happy, you know, uh, an Animal Crossing, you know, game. I think we had two in this generation: the Happy Home Designer and New Leaf. Like, I know they're not going to drop another Mario game unless they're going to do a sequel to 3D Land. But like, well, I, I read, I, go ahead. I read something about like Sonic Boom coming out. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because Sonic Boom, worst-selling game in the Sonic franchise's history, like. Not a strong game to to lead on this system, especially now that it feels like the 3DS may be you know a little long in the tooth. Like, I feel like we're reaching the end times for the 3DS, uh, especially if any of these NX rumors are true. We're really not going to discuss them. I know everybody's probably been reading up on them, but if the NX rumors are true, then it makes me wonder why even why even focus on the 3DS from this point forward. You know, if it is like a handheld console hybrid, do we need you know, Nintendo to be supporting two separate handhelds? I would much rather have this Direct be focused 
awesome NX news. We're getting closer to March. We're getting so much closer to March. I, I really want to know what the NX is. I don't, I don't put any credence in the rumors. I, I really just sit in here waiting for Nintendo to, you know, give me some news. Just tell me what it does. What games are going to be on it other than Zelda? Right. Well, you know, Nintendo always has surprises in all of their directs, and I don't think this one's going to be any different. They're probably going to, you know, throw something out there at the end of the direct that nobody expected. Um, whether it's related to the NX or not, I don't know, but um, I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, and I like the fact that this is one of the rare directs that's going to be taking place in the afternoon versus the morning. Uh, you know, we're normal people who have families and work <laughs> for the most part. So when they, whenever they do those 10 a.m. directs, those usually piss me off pretty good. I mean, it's 10 a.m. when they do them here. That makes it like 7 a.m. in, like, California, you know, where, like, Nintendo's kind of, you know, well, they're based on the West Coast in Seattle, so why are they doing these things so damn early? All right. So let's go ahead and move on to the next story. I am kind of stoked about this one with my, uh, you know, with my love for all of things Pokemon. Uh, Build-A-Bear is bringing an exclusive new Pokemon, and it's going to be Eevee. Uh, love the fact that with all this Pokemon Go and Pokemon Gen 1 hype that we get, you know, an Eevee Build-A-Bear. Uh, and this one's actually, you know, cuter than the Pikachu Build-A-Bear that came out last December, uh, which I, you know, if you guys recall, I bought one and I named it the Splat Zones, you know, in commemoration of when we first did our first episode of the show. So, of course, I'm going to get this Eevee and I'm going to name it the Pokemon Corner to commemorate you know, the day we did that show, and also to celebrate our first year of podcasting, which is next month. Uh, September is going to be our one-year anniversary, so I'm definitely going to be celebrating it with this adorable Eevee plush from Build-A-Bear. So before we move on to our final news story, I just want to kind of give a thank you in advance to all the fans who've been uh, tuning in regularly and supporting us. Uh, we really appreciate it. you guys motivate us to continue doing this show, and um, I really appreciate all of the support we've been getting. The show keeps growing every month. It gets bigger and bigger, and um, it's really nice to be able to do a one-year anniversary episode on this show. So, I agree, you. man. Dude, I totally agree. Uh, thank you guys for, you know, for tuning in, man, this was a small show that you guys have, you know, made it huge. It's something we look forward to doing every month to the point where we do it more than once a month. I don't know how many monthly shows have 25 episodes in a 12-month calendar year. I mean, that's <laughs> like, like you guys motivated us to keep going and going and going. And, of course, you know, Nintendo has had like a record year of news. So that's also been fun to talk about. We're just not very good at math, so... <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to this last story. Uh, this is kind of a big one, especially for, you know, the Pokemon Go uh, fanatics out there. There is a new buddy system coming to Pokemon Go. Uh, the way it's described here is the buddy system is using the same server-side distance calculation as one of the as the one used for Pokemon eggs. Uh, walking your Pokemon buddy will award you with candy. Uh, the amount of candy is yet to be determined. 
You can walk the same buddy Pokemon multiple times, but there is likely a daily limit for obtained candy. You can walk with only one buddy Pokemon at a time. There are various looks of a buddy, of a buddy Pokemon. Medium size, big size, flying next to you, and rests on your shoulders. I'm, I really hope it's the Pikachu that rests on your shoulders, because if that's true, like, I'm only going to have Pikachu with my buddy Pokemon, straight up. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about this story, because it's going to help me so much in evolving some of these Pokemon that are really hard to catch. Um, you know, I, I have a few that I just, I've only caught maybe one or two of, and being able to get more candy will help me complete my uh, Pokedex. Oh, of course, yeah, man. I still have only caught one muck. I've seen two, but my game froze and I lost one of them, so screwed me over there. You mean Grimer? Grimer. Yeah, I've caught I've caught only two Grimers. I mean, really, I haven't seen uh, very many either. So, uh, but the buddy system does make sense. I think it's how they're going to allow you to power up Pokemon that are hard to find. Um, like Lapras or Snorlax, and then when the legendaries come out, you know, I don't think Niantic is going to have people catching like 20 or 30 Mewtwo's just to power it up. They're going to be using the buddy system for that, and that's a good thing because um, as far as the gyms go, uh, you know, there are going to be more legendary Pokemon in the gyms when when uh, when they're released, you're going to see everybody using them because they're strong. But if everybody had, you know, ten Mewtwo's and you could put a Mewtwo in every gym that you wanted to collect on, then the only thing that would be in the gym would be legendaries, and it would kind of break the game. So I think the reason why they're coming out with the buddy system is because they're only going to allow you to have one of each of the legendaries. Um, but uh, even regardless of, of the legendaries, it's just a great system to have to uh, to help you complete your Pokedex. I also like it too because it's kind of a throwback to Pokemon Yellow, where uh, Pikachu would, you know, follow you as you played the game. You know, that was always aesthetically, it really did nothing for Pokemon Yellow. I mean, you know, it didn't do anything, you know, in, within the game other than just look adorable to see, you know, Pikachu just following behind you. So I kind of like that. That it's like a, it's like a callback, but it's actually you know much more functional than in uh, previous Pokemon games. So super excited to see that come. It looks like the the data miners also found out that the code for trading had been placed in the game already. So it looks like we may be able to start trading Pokemon with people soon. Uh, we have no idea how that's gonna work. I want to speculate that we're gonna be able to trade with people, you know. Not near us. I want to say, like, we're using the mobile network to go ahead and trade, so I should be able to trade with my boy Esage53 out in Sebring without uh, having to worry about anything. So I hope I don't have to be close to somebody to trade, like some kind of NFC function. I would rather have it be done via my mobile network. I got unlimited data. They can do whatever they want to me in this game, and it's not going to hurt me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. I'll also... Um read something about uh, different types of incense coming out. They're going to have uh, incense that will attract certain types of Pokemon. That's a pretty good feature. Um, I really hope, though, that when all these um, you know, new features come out, that they don't forget about the, the tracking system because you know, nobody's really been reporting on anything for the sightings 
as far as uh, when they're going to release the new system for finding Pokemon, and they really need to come out with it sooner than later because, uh, you know, in the beginning of the game, when you're catching new Pokemon every single day, you know, it's okay that, well, at least for me, it was okay that I couldn't find specific Pokemon on the list because I was just happy to catch whatever because everything was new and I needed the candy for most of the Pokemon. But now, as your Pokedex gets to be more and more complete, you, you're trying to target specific Pokemon. And so if you're running around trying to find a Jigglypuff, um, you know, because it's on your sightings and, and you're going in all four different directions, it gets frustrating. And they really need to fix that because that's, um, that's a really... It's starting to become a big problem, I think. More so now because people are starting to fill up their Pokedex. Yeah, and, you know, I've heard from a few people that have uh, the new tracking system in L.A., you know, like they're like the beta market for that specific new function. They're loving it. So, I mean, I hope that the rollout for that happens sooner rather than later because uh, I'm down to the last seven Pokemon, like, you know, but we'll get into that later. Um, but that's it for the news stories, guys. Hit us up. Let us know which news story you thought was the best for this month. Was it the Eevee news story, the Pokemon Go news story, or is it the Nintendo Direct? What are you most excited to hear about? Well, and just for the record, guys, I will be doing a live reaction for the Nintendo Direct, so tune in, watch that. I guarantee you I'll flip shit because I'm such a Nintendo fanboy that I always flip shit. Uh, here's hoping for Splatoon 3DS. Just, you know, just going to throw that out there, Nintendo. Splatoon for the 3DS, maybe, please. I'm about it. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and move on to a section we haven't done in a while since we haven't done a regular episode. What are we playing? What are we playing? I'm going to hit this one up first because I've had a blast. Um, so I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Go, as you know, as I should be, like everybody with a mobile phone should be. But besides playing Pokemon Go, uh, over the past weekend, my fiancé and I, we... Uh, we went ahead and we put in New Super Mario Brothers for Wii U, and in two days, we played that game from start to finish, and it was so much fun to play with her. Uh, she's never really played a Mario game before, so it was cool to see somebody learn how to play Mario on the fly, and that's, you know, those games can be pretty difficult, like the further, you know, the further, you know, the closer to the end you get, those games get harder. So to watch her go from, like, complete noob to, like, semi-pro, that was pretty cool. It's also very interesting to watch an adult learn to play a Mario game for the first time. I don't think I've ever actually experienced that. Well, I mean, that's not actually true. I remember watching my dad play Mario when I was a kid when we got our first NES. But I don't think I've seen that since then, and that was, like, back in 89. I'm old. I'm old, guys. Like, I'm a dinosaur. There's some gray hairs somewhere around here in my beard. But whatever. No, it was, it, like I said, it was really interesting watching, you know, an adult learn to play a Mario game because you have to tell them, you have to teach them that it's all about precision jumping and, like, the platforming gets difficult. But it was really cool to, like, watch her face light up whenever she did something, you know, good. And, you know, as she helped me figure out strategies to beat the bosses, 
it was a really, really fun time that we had together. Like, she enjoyed it so much that after we beat the game, she's like, do we have another game like this? So we went ahead and popped in Mario 3D World for the Wii U, and we, we started on that. And she's actually better at that game than she is at a Mario, 3D, uh, Mario Wii U. So we've been playing that. We've also been playing a lot of Pokemon Go together. Uh, we've had a very game-filled weekend, so glad to, to glad to share that experience with her. She's becoming more and more of a gamer every day. What, what about you, bro? What are you playing right now? So, I mean, for the most part, I'm still, you know, playing Pokemon Go way too much, but I'm starting to get back into Xenoblade Chronicles X again, which, you know, even though I've already put in, like, probably, like, 50 hours into that game, um, it's still breathtaking, and, uh, you know, it's still a joy to play, so... Um, I'm probably going to be taking a little bit of a break from Pokemon Go in the next, you know, week or two as I start getting back into, uh, you know, playing console games again. But, um, you know, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, you know, with the advent of uh, uh, Mario Party uh, for the 3DS and uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, you know we're going to... We're going to be focused on those games pretty heavily. It's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting to get back into a main series Pokemon game after Pokemon Go. Um, I've still been wondering, like, how that's going to be. I've had so much fun and so many interesting experiences with Pokemon Go. Wondering what it's going to be like to get back into a main series game. All right. So, guys, we're not going to do Amiibo acquisitions this month. Uh, well, because there haven't been any new Amiibos since Callie and Marie came out, although we did get those. They are awesome. So, yes. But what we're going to do is we're going to use this time to go ahead and give you our Pokemon uh, Ghost stats. After party, you want to go ahead and uh, start that off? Sure. Um, I'm level 28 right now, and I have 133 Pokemon in my Pokedex. And... Uh, I have a Pokemon that's been in a gym for, like, almost three weeks now. It's starting to get a little ridiculous. I I put my best executor in this, like, level eight gym, I think. I made it a level nine. Um, it just never came back to me. Huh? And I – it was a gym in, a, in a, another city that I was just uh, – happened to be kind of uh, visiting – so it's I don't even know like what's going on with that gym or what happened to my Pokemon, but eventually I had to give up on it and just power up a new Executor because, um, like, as of today, it has been, I think, 16 days since I dropped it off in the gym. It's been it's ridiculous. It's just it's never coming back. So <laughs> I have a theory that. Uh, the place where Mario After Party dropped that Pokemon off was uh, removed from Niantic's list. You know, they, they petitioned to have it removed from from the game. So what happens is Niantic didn't want to screw anybody over, so they're allowing Mario After Party to keep collecting on a gym that no longer exists. While well, my Pokemon is lost in digital space, which, exactly. God, I, not the case. I, I don't think that's the case, but we'll see. I <laughs> eventually am going to go back there and check it out, but... He's trapped in the void of Tron. Yeah. All right. So I am a level 27. 
I have 135 of 136. I'm closing in on a Geodude. I'm missing. I just need one Geodude. I only need two candies. This is the most frustrated I've ever been in this game. I was like, why are there no more Geodudes? I used to hatch them. I used to see them. But, of course, I need a Golem. Can't find a Geodude. The game is, like, purposely laughing at me. I'm like, look at that short-ass little Puerto Rican trying to find a Golem. Or, or, uh, I've also had a gym for a while now. I'm on my uh, 13th day as of today. Uh, it's a level 10 gym. Uh, it was a level 2 gym uh, when, I, when I got there. And I sat there and built that gym up from a level 2 to a level 8 the day I dropped off my Pokemon. Went back a couple days later. It was a level 2 again. So I sat there and built it back up to an 8. Then I didn't go back until, you know, until uh, this morning. It was a level 9 gym. So I just sat there and built up the prestige until it was level 10 today. So now is a fully stocked level 10 gym. We've had it for 13 days, and I'm super excited because it's like we're, the, you know, putting Team Instinct on the Tampa map. We got a level 10 gym, and I don't think anybody's messing with it because there's, you know, five of the Pokemon, the, the, the top five Pokemon are two Executors, two Snorlaxes, and a Lapras. I challenge anybody in the Tampa area to come after that gym. <laughs> What's up? I said, where is it located? It's next to the Amscot on Hillsboro and 22nd. Come and find it. There you go. Shots fired. Shots fired. All right. So those are our Pokemon Go stats. You know, we're, we're, we're reaching the end, Niantic. Let's get those Gen 2 Pokemon out, man. Let's get those Gen 2 Pokemon out. We're ready. We're ready. Need a hundred more Pokemon to, to hunt for. Let's let's uh let's keep this game going. All right, and with that, guys, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna take our first uh, commercial break. And when we come back, we're gonna hit you up with the topic of the month. So don't go anywhere. And we are back. I'm co-host Mario After Party, along with the show, Nice One Ninety Three. All right, guys. Our pop culture episode for you. Take it away, Nice One. All right, guys. Like Mario After Party said, it's our pop culture episode, and there's a reason why we're doing this one and not the Game Boy episode that we promised last episode. Basically, Nintendo had this amazing showing at the Rio Olympics for their closing ceremonies. As we should all know by now, the 2020 Olympics will be held in Japan. And to showcase Japanese culture, uh, Nintendo came out in full force. I mean, the mayor of Tokyo came dressed up as Mario. They had this awesome little 3D skit in which Mario went down the drain pipe from Japan and he popped up in Rio. And just this awesome, awesome epic closing ceremony that got me really hyped to, to see what happens at the 2020 Olympics. But it's, you know, uh, one of my friends, you know, Mr. Esage53, we like to shout him out as much as we can. He uh, brought it up to me, the, the, the irony of a 
fat little Italian plumber being the representative of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So I, you know, I gotta give him his due there because that was freaking hilarious to me. But guys, moving forward, Nintendo has had a long and awesome history at a as pop culture icons, you know, and they've done a, a really good job of promoting themselves as of recent, but it wasn't always the case. Um, there was a long lull where, like, it was hard to find any kind of, you know, Mario merchandise or Zelda merchandise or any kind of tie-ins or promotions that had to do with Nintendo-specific IPs. So we went ahead and we did a little research, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, we lived during this era, but we went ahead and we researched what Nintendo is as a pop culture icon and how they got there. Um, so let's go ahead and start in the 80s, specifically 1981, when Donkey Kong first came out in the arcades. This is very cool to me. When Donkey Kong came out, Donkey Kong was a phenomenon, like a true phenomenon. Donkey Kong had obviously an amazing video game. But little things that spun off from that are what are important here. Donkey Kong was Nintendo's first mass market appeal IP. So basically what they were able to do with Donkey Kong was they were able to promote Donkey Kong in a way that no other video game character up until this point had been promoted other than Pac-Man. So Donkey Kong got his own cereal. Uh, if you go ahead, I'm, if you're watching the video version, I promise you I'm splicing in uh, the commercial for the Donkey Kong cereal. On top of that, though, Donkey Kong also had his own Saturday morning cartoon show. Uh, I went back and I watched a few of these episodes. They are god-awful cheesy. And Mario looks like... Mario looks awful in this cartoon. But it's Nintendo's first foray into really promoting their IP outside of video games. And that's, that's something that we're going to talk about a lot in today's episode is how Nintendo promoted their IP outside of video games and became transcendent of the video games they were born out of. So it would be a while before we got another TV show, um, but it's a really good one, guys. So the next major franchise Nintendo got to really promote was the Mario Brothers. Um, of course, we all know what a phenomenon the original Mario Bros. game was, what it did for for video games as a whole. It basically saved, you know, video games. We wouldn't have video games the way we do now if it were not for this little game right here, Super Mario Bros. And, uh, of course, if it saved video games, this little, this little these two little plumbers can be icons. So what did they do, man? They went out and they got a TV deal you know, with uh, Deke Entertainment, which I now think they're called Cookie Jar, but whatever. And they went ahead and they did the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Now, this is one of my all-time favorite childhood shows. What I loved about the Super Mario Brothers Super Show is it was done in segments. One segment would be live-action uh, Mario featuring, uh, you know, former wrestling manager Captain Lou Albano as Mario in the live-action segments. Uh, they do the live action segments, then they move into the cartoon segment, which would be uh, just a Super Mario Bros. cartoon that was based 
uh, on Mario Bros. 1 and Mario Bros. 2. And it was just this cool little fusion. This had this amazing theme song and just one of the greatest things I ever saw. But to cap this show off, they did even better. They were able to go ahead and do a Legend of Zelda cartoon that would appear on Friday. So the show ran Monday through Friday. So Monday through Thursday, you got the Mario cartoons. Friday, you got the Legend of Zelda cartoons, which was based off of, you know, the first Legend of Zelda game. And these, this show, like, you go back and look at it now, and it's, you know, it's 80s cheesy. You know, you had your celebrity guest appearances, like Sergeant Slaughter, the wrestler. Uh, you had Cindy Lauper on the show. There were a lot of cheesy guest appearances. But when you're saying, you know, Cindy Lauper back in the 80s, she was on fire with that, you know, with girls just want to have fun. So if you think about it, Nintendo's marketing was brilliant on that. They were able to take Mario and instantly put him with recognizable celebrities like Sergeant Slaughter and, uh, you know, Body by Jake. And, <laughs> oh, guys, if you don't know about Body by Jake, the worst infomercials you will ever see in your life. And, of course, Cindy Lauper. And they were able to, you know, use their fame to go ahead and promote Mario. So, of course, the crossover appeal from that is instant. And we had some other cool little things happening. We had a... We had so many cool things. I mean, even Magic Johnson was on that show, you know, and that was before the whole, you know, I have AIDS scandal. But they did a very, very good job of making sure Mario had a presence on TV. Um, this is something that I always thought Nintendo did well, was making sure that Mario had a presence on TV because after the Super Mario Bros., after the Super Mario show ended, you know, they did Mario Bros. 3, and... You know, they did the, you know, that chronicled, of course, the adventures that they had in the third Mario game. And from there, they went ahead and moved on to, uh, what is it, Super Mario World, which, of course, introduced Yoshi into the TV show universe. And, you know, very funny, cheesy 80s cartoons. On top of that, before the Super Mario Bros. Super Show, they also had a game, uh, a TV show called Captain N, the Game Master. Um, this was also a very cool show where, you know, a, a young teenager falls into a video game world and he's he's the protector and he's armed with the NES Zapper and Mega Man makes his first animated appearance there. Donkey Kong's in the show. Uh, Simon Belmont from Castlevania is in the show. Very cool. Nintendo finding a way to give themselves a presence on TV. Uh, after Party, this is something that's lacking now. We do not have... Nintendo themed TV shows, like how? Yeah, I can't say that I'm up to date with uh, all the latest cartoons on on TV today. I mean, I've seen a few, but uh, yeah, we we don't have uh, a Nintendo IP on uh, you know children's television right now. I mean, the closest we have is Pokemon and. That's a little iffy because technically the Pokemon company is a uh, what we would consider a second-party developer. Um, yes, they make games exclusively for Nintendo, but they also they have a huge say-so in what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. So, you know, Nintendo has a say in what they're allowed to do, but, you know, 
it's a publicly traded company. They're allowed to make their own decisions for the most part. Um, that being said, man, uh, I think we have to credit a Mr. Bill White for a lot of the amazing uh, promotions that went on in Nintendo back in the day. So, yes, we have to credit Mr. Bill White. Uh, Bill White was the the uh, marketing executive for Nintendo back in the you know the late 80s, early 90s. This guy was a promotional wizard. Uh, at a time when Nintendo really didn't really like to promote a lot, uh, Mr. Arakawa, who was the president of Nintendo of America, not a huge fan of marketing. He was more of the if the games sell, and the games are if the games are good, the games will sell. But Bill White. He get he he did these phenomenal promotions, which leads me to Nintendo's first foray into movies. It's not Super Mario Bros. It's a, with a little movie called The Wizard. This was a cool thing to me. They basically did Rain Man with little kids, and uh, had this amazing video game tournament at the end that culminated with the uh, the worldwide debut. Of Mario Bros. 3. Uh, we'd never seen the game up to this point, and we see it for the first time in this movie. And it, I remember as a kid watching that movie, it blew my mind like, holy shit, Mario 3, Mario 3, what the fuck? Obviously, seven year old Dennis wasn't saying those exact words, but you know, I can only imagine that's what my brain was thinking back then. Uh, silly little movie, it's kind of a cult classic because. There's no way a movie like that could actually be good. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, that movie also introduced us to the Power Glove and the line, I love the Power Glove, it's so bad. Which just sounds like some dirty 12-year-old sex joke. Anyhow. So, Nintendo made some big moves, man. And it wasn't just with, with you know, TV and movies, man. Nintendo hooked up with, like, the king of fast food, bro, McDonald's, for Mario Bros. 3. Now, this is cool. Happy Meals are, like, the golden ticket, man. You might as well just call Willy Wonka right now, R.I.P. Gene Wilder. But uh, this was this was a huge ha – this, this Happy Meal promotion was huge for Nintendo. They had a brand-new game on the way and uh, arguably the best Mario game. And a Happy Meal promotion was great, you know. And there were, you know, not only was there a Happy Meal promotion, but Bill White actually got McDonald's to front all the production costs on commercials. So that's like a double win for Nintendo. They get essentially the free advertising of a Happy Meal, and then they had McDonald's pay for it. Unprecedented. Most of the time, if you do a deal with McDonald's, you're paying for it, and you're paying for the commercials. McDonald's paid for it because, man, working with Nintendo was was gold back then. It was like a license to print money, especially back in the 80s. But I think we got to talk about something not so great. We got to talk about the Mario Bros. movie. Whew. Terrible, terrible movie. One yeah. Of the worst of, probably, uh, probably worse than the Street Fighter movie. I mean, it certainly... Um, competes with it for worst video game movie of all time. Guys, in the lexicon of bad video game movies, you know, after Party said it, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat 2, 
um, Doom, all six Resident Evil movies, and the lexicon of bad video game movies. The Super Mario Bros. movie has a special place among that list. Like, it is bad. I mean, it, it, the, the worst part is it's a bad movie with relatively good actors. I mean, John Leguizamo, who's not, like, the most fantastic actor, but the guy's got a pretty significant amount of range. I mean, he's done everything from comedies to drama. Guy can act. And, of course, you know, Bob Hoskins as Mario... And I love Bob Hoskins, man. Like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's one of my favorite movies of all time. Of all time. I mean, this movie was so bad that the actors actually got drunk on the set continuously, which caused John Leguizamo to crash his car into Bob Hoskins and break his arm. Like, Wow, I did not know that. Like, this movie seriously altered lives. Of the of the people involved with it, and I think this is kind of the turning point for Nintendo. After this movie came out, you start to see Nintendo get a lot more reluctant in how they use their IPs, because up until this point, we just you know described that they were on TV, they were in movies. At one point, they had their own soda. Mario had his own soda. I mean, this is the the cross promotion that you know Nintendo was able to get. But after this movie, you start to see them pull back. Like, you know, obviously after you know after the the Mario Bros. movie came out, Bill White was was uh, fired not too long after that for an unrelated incident. But you kind of have to think that the Mario Bros. movie is part of the reason why he was fired. I mean, if if it were me, you'd be fired for that movie. I but, mean, you should have been fired just for the poster. You knew the movie was going to be bad. You just look at the poster. I mean, you have, you know, Mario and Luigi with some awkward, weird, like, space boots on, and you have some sort of uh, Blade Runner character on the right-hand side of the poster, and then at the top, you have dinosaurs wearing suits. Yeah, that Blade Runner-looking character is actually King Koopa. And so, just from the poster alone, I mean, it's... You just knew it was going to be a bad movie. Yeah. You know... For, for the research for this episode, guys, I went ahead and I... I did two things. First, I watched the trailer for this movie... Then I actually found the movie on YouTube and watched it. Um, I should have filmed a live reaction because, Jesus Christ, this movie. But the trailer is the most obnoxious trailer for any film I've ever seen. It starts off with, I've got the power! And I'm like, no. No. No, they didn't. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And the song just gets louder and louder and more obnoxious and I'm like for the love of everything holy how did seven year old Dennis want to see this movie and it made me think I was like was I a stupid child was I a stupid child or was I that enamored with Nintendo that I would be drawn into anything they did like like the Pied Piper and his flute well 
I mean, I can understand why Nintendo would want to pull back after this because they they really got burned by um, how bad this movie was. It damaged the image of uh, Mario Bros. It hurt one of their um, best IPs, and you know, I think even other companies have looked back on you know video game movies and superhero movies. And I think that's, you know, part of the reason why uh, Marvel movies are so good because, you know, they realized that they had to start taking control of their own IPs if they wanted to make a good movie because you really can't trust, you know, Hollywood to come out with a faithful and a quality version of, of that. And so, um, I mean, this is kind of like the beginning of terrible video game movies. Um, if you if you want to go back through time and look at all the horrible IPs that have been ruined over the years. So it was kind of a big deal. And um, Nintendo really, um, you know, it was they, they were burned by that. And they wanted to make sure that that never happened again. Well, as we talk about the Mario movie, there's, you know, the book Console Wars... They actually dive pretty, pretty deep into the making of this movie, and before I even get into that, I want to say that Mario After Party brings up an interesting point. He said Nintendo had no control over this movie. They really didn't. They didn't have very much. I mean, they had final say in what got made, but they only had final say of what got made with the footage that was already in existence, so that's not having very much say whatsoever. Secondly, Nintendo is a company that is, like, always, always, always been about creative control. They want to own, at least back then, they wanted to own everything that had to do with video games as a whole. And this extended to their third-party licenses. They wouldn't let third parties make video games unless they met Nintendo's, you know, approval. And if they didn't, then that game just didn't come out. And there were a lot of companies back then who really pissed at Nintendo because they're like, we made this game and you're not approving it because it doesn't meet whatever awkward and weird standards you guys have. So Nintendo's a company that prides itself on that creative control, and to not have creative control on this movie, it's almost blasphemous. It's more than just creative control because even though Nintendo has relaxed a little bit on um, allowing other third-party companies to have more freedom even though the third-party support for the Wii U was, like, non-existent. Um, it's more about quality control because Nintendo has very, very high standards. That's why they are so revered in the industry. You know, that's why they that Universal Studios is going to make a Nintendo theme park. They're not making a Lara Croft Tomb Raider theme park. They're not making a Crash Bandicoot theme park. You know, I mean, and there's other great franchises out there um, even even Sonic, you know, but they're making a Nintendo-themed um, theme park because all of Nintendo's IPs are, you know, held to that standard of quality control. And uh, one of the things that I, I found really interesting, too, was, uh, you know, Reggie Fils and me was uh, interviewed recently. Um, I know you wanted to talk about that. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I found interesting in that interview that kind of pertains to what we're talking about now is 
he said that you know he doesn't want Nintendo's IPs to be hit and misses. Like he wants um, the way that Nintendo goes about their, their IPs. I mean, they're very you know they're perfectionists, um, and they they don't want to just release things and you know kind of hope that some of them go well and 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 some of them don't. Uh, that's why they their quality control is so high because their standards are incredibly high. Absolutely, I 100% have to agree with that. I mean, that movie, you know. With that movie in the past, and with Nintendo's, you know, just the the way the burn they that they felt after that, it led to some dark times for the hardcore, you know, Western Nintendo collector. Um, after part and I talked about this on many occasions. After this, you start to see a decline in any and all merchandising and promotions that were done by Nintendo. Before this, they were doing deals with Domino's. They were doing deals with McDonald's. They were doing deals with Shasta to have their own soda. They were doing the most to put Mario to the forefront. And after that, we got nothing. We wouldn't see a Nintendo franchise really pop off until 1996 in Japan and 1998 in the rest of the world uh, with a little game called Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon is so key to Nintendo. Uh, We talked about this during the E3 episode that at their E3 press conference they made it a huge point to say that they were having a Pokemon anime and that was going to be dubbed and brought to America. It is, and of course we all know what happened from there. Pokemania took over, you know, the whole world. Now Mario After Party and I have a very different take of how Pokemon was received from other Americans. Uh, at the time, we were, you know, we were teenagers living in Germany on military installations. Um, and even all the way out there, the penetration level of Pokemon was deep. Like, it was... Yeah, that's right, guys. I made that sound as dirty as possible. That's right. Nintendo got in deep. But it's you know it was everywhere, everywhere there was a Pokemon board game. Of course, the anime was taken off. Gets everywhere. <laughs> no, but seriously, it was everywhere. Um, obviously, there were there was a Pokemon, uh, to be a master board game. Uh, there was a huge, huge Burger King tie-in with fifty-three toys. I don't think. There has ever been a more ambitious kids' meal deal than to have 53 toys. Uh, And and that was just to promote the first Pokemon movie. Uh, And that was a huge movie back in 1999. Uh, I remember going to that movie. The line was like around the block for that movie. And, you know, they had to show it twice in one day. And movie theaters in Germany, at least the ones we went to, they didn't really show a singular movie more than once a day. You saw one movie, and then they'd show another movie properly afterward. There's only one screen, not this huge multiplex theater that we have here in the States. And interesting wave of, like, the Pokemon wave was deep. 
not only was it able to become this huge mass market uh, conglomeration of a video game, but it also saved the Game Boy. Uh, I think we have to talk about that just a little bit. What this one franchise and the penetration level that this one franchise had, it was able to save what most would have considered at the time a dying system. And it had more to do with than just how good the game was. It had to do with the the pop culture status of Pokemon as a whole, man. Right. I mean, it's kind of like... Um, it's similar to the craze that we have now with Pokemon Go. When the original Pokemon games came out, it, there was, like, Pokemania everywhere. And everyone was saying, oh, it's, you know, it's just a fad. In a few years, it's going to be dead. It's going to go away. Well, we're you know, almost 20 years later, and it got crazy all over again. Except it's this time, um, it's with mobile gaming, and um, instead of being on, like, an old piece of technology, it's giving life to a very new technology, like augmented reality. So um, there are some differences, but, I mean, it's, you know, you were telling me that joke, it's like the 90s all over again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, Nintendo had new hardware. This is the crazy part, is when, when Pokemon had come out, they had already finished making and developing the Game Boy Advance. This franchise was so powerful that they sat on the Game Boy Advance for four years. They had warehouses of Game Boy Advances, full warehouses of Game Boy Advances, and they were just waiting for pretty much the Pokemon franchise to move on to the next hardware before they released the new hardware. Like, no other video game company can do that. No other video game company right now has any IP that comes close to doing what Pokemon can do. If, could you only imagine what would happen if Pokemon was on a console like the Vita? You know, not necessarily a dead console, but to the point it, it's kind of sort of dead because even Sony doesn't support the Vita anymore, and a game like that could have really boosted the PSP, which is like the latest, probably the best competitor that Nintendo might have had in the in the, in the the handheld market, didn't stand a chance because it didn't have an IP like Pokemon. Right, and it goes to show that, you know, Nintendo's strategy of quality first and their, their really high standards, it pays off because the Vita is a way more uh, advanced, uh, handheld than the, the 3DS. Um, and, and really, when the Vita came out, it wasn't even competing with the 3DS, competing with the DS. So, um, you know, and it, graphically, it's superior, and, um, you know, it's, it, it meets all the, all the, tick, if you, all the checkbox, uh, you know, boxes you can check off for what you need to have a successful handheld, the Vita on paper met it, but it didn't have the same IPs that Nintendo had, and ultimately it comes down to the games. If you have good games, people will buy your system, and if, if you have enough good games for the library, which you know is kind of one of the reasons the Wii U didn't succeed, um, people will, will buy it, and the 3DS has a great library. It has a, the DS had a great library, and the 3DS has a, a really great library of games, which is why Nintendo has been able to continue dominating uh, the handheld market. 
Yep. Uh, guys, after the initial wave of, you know, Pokemania, the dark times, which for Nintendo hadn't really ended as far as what they did in their, you know, their promotions and utilizing their IP as pop culture icons, it was still, you know, non-existent, uh, at least in the West. In Japan, you know, there were some high-quality action figures and statues coming out. Um, and I'm a huge collector of a lot of things. I'm a huge Ninja Turtle collector and even bigger Nintendo collector. Um, after Party and I have had this conversation before. Um, we never really had a huge collector's market in the States as far as when it came to Nintendo IP. Uh, they made little knickknacks here and there but nothing as high quality as the stuff that actually comes out in Japan. Even with the Pokemon stuff, the stuff that was coming out in Japan was much better than the stuff coming out here in America. And there's, that leaves something to be said because as a collector, that left me feeling burned and we've never really had, we've never really had that, like, that high quality product. That is until 2014 uh, at E3 that year, Nintendo pulled out something during their uh, their E3 press show called Amiibo. Amiibo is Nintendo's first real foray into making high-quality, beautifully designed figurines. I mean, granted, these figurines have functionality within the games that they are made for. But that's not what sold Amiibo. Let's, let's get one thing clear. It is not the games and the functionality in the games that sold Amiibo and started off the Amiibo craze. It is the quality control that Nintendo exerted over Amiibo and making them beautifully designed toys. Like, you put a, an Amiibo next to a Skylander. Yeah, the Skylander may have the cooler design because it's all new IP for, for Activision. I might, I'm going to disagree with you, but the Nintendo product is of a much higher quality. An Amiibo looks much better than a Skylander. Um, this might be debatable, but I think Amiibo look better than Disney Infinity figures. And for a while, you could not find very specific Amiibo. Uh, right. Especially Amiibo that, of characters that weren't as big as your, as your Mario's. We did an entire episode on Amiibo because of the impact that it's had within the... Um, gaming industry and also the uh, collector's market. And, uh, you know, you're right. It's like, I mean, even though I, I feel like we grew up in such a great, like, time where we got to experience arcades and consoles and we've kind of able to, like, experience this great renaissance of gaming, we did get burned a little bit because we went through a long period of time where there were um, little to no collectibles or, or any merchandise that we could have enjoyed uh, about the games that we were playing. Exactly. I mean, look at it. I mean, look at the characters that were hard to find uh, as far as Amiibos are concerned. The most obscure characters were the ones that were hard to find. Marth. Marth from the first Fire Emblem game. Uh, we Fit Trainer from a you know from a fitness game that that's not even all that good animal Rose. huh 
Rosalina. Rosalina, you know, you know who who was an, an a Target exclusive figure, you know, beautifully designed figure by the way. Um, uh, Villager, Villager, hard to find. King DDD from Kirby. Uh, all the you know, virtually all the Fire Emblem characters are hard to find. Pit and Dark Pit and uh, what's the Queen's you know the the Palutena. All hard to find figures from Nintendo's most obscure franchises. This is where I th I think Nintendo had a wake up call. I think this is where Nintendo realized our IP is beloved by all. Look at the characters that are selling out in minutes. These are our obscure characters. These aren't the Mario's. These aren't the Luigi's. These aren't the Links, the Pikachu's. These are like our B-level characters, but that goes to show you that Nintendo's B-level characters are, are are more important than, like, Sony's A-list and Microsoft's A-list. Man, you release a Master Chief figure, that shit ain't selling off the shelves in a minute. You're not, you're gonna release a Nathan Drake figure, you're not gonna sell that shit off a minute. Let me tell you, I love Uncharted as a series, but it does not match up to, you know, a Mario game does not match up to a good Legend of Zelda game. You know, I mean, it's it's good and better than those games in certain ways, but if you put Uncharted in front of me and you put Zelda Breath of the Wild in front of me, I'm going to punch the person who gave me Uncharted because I'm like, dude, no, Zelda Breath of the Wild. And Zelda Breath of the Wild is of a huge scope, but you know what? I might punch somebody out over Twilight Princess or Wind Waker. Because, you know, Nintendo just makes these amazing games that have so much appeal. Like, and it doesn't matter, like, where you put them. You put Mario in a race car. You got Mario Kart. It's a fucking hit franchise. You make Link look like a cartoon. And it's literally the best Legend of Zelda game to date. It, the Wind Waker completely decimated what most people think of Link. It broke conventions. He didn't... Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, and, and another thing, like, you're saying, you know, these action figures from other um, series and other IPs wouldn't uh, sell nearly as well as the Nintendo IPs. And that, you know, proof of that, I think, is in the Vans deal that they had because all of the, Nint the Nintendo IPs that were on you know the vans shoes and shirts like you really couldn't do that with any other franchise aside from maybe Sonic but I don't think it would have been as successful oh I agree um and dude the vans deal man the vans deal was honestly that that is a huge deal for me um first off we like I said the collectors market was bad for toys but I think the apparel market was even worse. Like it was, it was hard to find a good Mario shirt. But now you've got a line of Mario sneakers and hats and sweaters and backpacks with this Vans deal, and and it's it's marketed not towards the youth. It's marketed towards the people our age. Like that was the brilliance of this marketing campaign. The deal was they said. Let's bring back these people who grew up on, a, on on our stuff, and let's make it swag. Let's 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 make it 
what these kids are wearing. What the, I mean, you know, we're not kids anymore, but you know, right. So let's make it what they want. And I bought every single hat, minus the duck hunt hat, because I think it's a little weird to see a Puerto Rican in a trucker hat that has camouflage on it. <laughs> well, just to add on to what you're saying, I just want to read um, a quick quote from Reggie Filsamid, uh in one in the interview. He was. What's the strategy when it comes to picking and choosing what's merchandise? And uh, this kind of ties into what we're talking about with, um, you know, Nintendo deciding to kind of open up um, with their IPs. So Reggie said that, um, first, we want to be with the right partners. Vans is a great example, a fantastic partner. Second, we want to be in the right places, meaning what are the retail outlets that these products are going to show up in, and then third, we want to be the we want it to be the right intellectual property. We want to do this in a way that is a growing, sustaining type of volume, not hits and misses. And that was kind of from the uh, what I was talking about earlier, um, you know. And he goes on to talk about you know collectibles are are really a big opportunity. Um, you know, they have a good relationship with. Hasbro and Mattel, so bringing their IP to various toys and like card games um, and board games is is important to them. Um, and and you know to kind of tie it all back into the Vans deal, you know the quality control, which is kind of a reoccurring theme here, you know ensured that when they did make that deal with Vans, it wasn't like you weren't getting a cheap shirt or, or a cheap pair of shoes that were gonna fall apart. Like you're getting Vans shoes that just happen to have Nintendo's logo on it. So you're getting the quality of Vans, but you're getting Vans with Nintendo's IP. That's also something of note. You're you're 100% right. Vans didn't get to where Vans is without making quality product. So they completely – you see two companies who have like – this great understanding of quality control who are able to like make this amazing deal happen. And man, I, I really love that Vans gear. You know, I, I got to interview a few of the, um, the managers who are, you know, operating those Vans stores and they were telling me amazing stories about like what the first day was like, how they sold out of shoes, like in an instant, like the moment the doors opened, the line was, all the way around the mall, um, they couldn't accommodate it, and they were, you know, they were actually directing people to order things via the website. And, you know, one manager told me that in the first day they had five thefts attempts. In the first day, like people wanted these IP so bad that they were willing to risk going to jail. Well, to wear them. I mean, I mean that's going to happen with Jay or you know Jordans too, but. I mean, it's it's you know the guy who the guy I was talking to is like he's like I've worked for this company for like 15 years and this has never happened. So well, it's that's because amazing. Nintendo is starting to realize their their potential with that people actually want to buy these kind of things and uh, I wouldn't say that they've quite like been running away with it yet because we are kind of having some issues with the Pokemon Go Plus. And Amiibo has kind of been MIA for a few months, so I don't think they've uh, taken advantage of of um, 
marketing and all their their merchandising as they they could have, but you know the main deal uh, was the really big step in that direction. Yeah, I mean we talked about this in the what's wrong with the Wii U, and you know it looks like Nintendo in the last you know two years has learned the value of good marketing. Good marketing could have saved the Wii U right right from the start. Had they marketed the Wii U as a different name? I mean, because by the time the Wii U had come out, you know, we had all, you know, the enamorment we felt with the Wii, it had all, it had all but died down. Like, you know, the Wii stayed around maybe a year too long. Yeah, I mean, it the Wii U only launched it, like, at the end of 2012, and that's not a very long console lifespan, but it did go from 2006 to 2012, six years on an underpowered console. So, of course, naming, you know, the next generation the same thing, probably not the best step, because it also lets confusion. Uh, is this an upgrade to the Wii U? Is Do I just buy a... T- is this an upgrade to a Wii? Am I just buying a tablet? Am I actually getting new hardware? It was very confusing marketing. They did not do a good job. Um, but it looks like they've at least started to turn things around and make a better attempt at you know promoting their IP and promoting their systems. I think the, the best tell right now of how smart Nintendo's got at marketing and, and treating their IP the way it should be is with the NES Classic that's coming out. It's a miniature NES that's preloaded with 30 amazing games from the 8-bit era. Uh, I am so looking forward to that piece of hardware. Um, it's it's pretty much a plug-and-play, but it's optimized for you know HD TVs with an HDMI in and out. So smart. That is that is genius. Like. It is Nintendo realizing that people love this old IP. They love it. And let's give it back to them in a very substantial way. Yes, it's going to cost us money as consumers, but the reaction to this piece of hardware has been incredible. Nobody has said anything bad about this. Like, it's been all positive. Like, people are excited to get this. People who haven't played video games in like 20 years are like, oh my god, I remember playing those old games on my original NES. I want to have it back. My cousin, my cousin who's 39 years old, he was at the house the other day and he asked me, hey, what do you think about that NES mini thing that's coming out? He's And we started talking about that like in great detail. Like My cousin and I don't have very many similar interests, but you know, that sparked off a huge conversation because he's like, I'm getting one for me and I'm getting one for my 14-year-old son because I want him to experience those games like I did when I was his age. And, you know, my boy Esaj, he hit me up with like, I want to buy this because I want my 5-year-old daughter to play these games. Like, I want her to grow up and play the games that I grew up. I want her to grow up and appreciate these games. Like, it's brilliant. It's brilliant that Nintendo has started to recognize the potential that their IP has and what their status as pop culture icons really means. Yeah, I mean, I think, in my opinion, the smartest uh, deal that they've made so far, um, which I talked about a little bit earlier, was uh, the Universal Studios deal. Um, 
I know you you've researched a lot into that. You want to go ahead and give the details of what we know so far. So so far we know that Nintendo is going to they so thus far in 2014 they teamed up with Universal Studios. I'm sorry, 2015, uh, because they want to get their IP and and build a massive theme park. Uh, just recently it came out that the scope and size of this theme park will dwarf the Harry Potter section of Universal Studios. Uh, and when I found out, that's like, it's going to be bigger than the Harry Potter world? Like, what? And, and that's, the, that's the amazing thing. Uh, I haven't been to the Harry Potter world recently, but, you know, over the last two years, they have expanded the Harry Potter world so that it's actually part of both parks at Universal Studios. Universal Studios Orlando is actually two separate parks, uh, Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios. Now, the Harry Potter section now functions as the bridge between both parks. So if you have, like, a multi-park pass, you take the train to Hogwarts, and you drive on the train, and it drops you off at Diagon Alley. Uh, that's huge. That's a huge section of the park and it's a beautiful park like I'm not even a Harry Potter fan I've never read a book never watched a movie and I am amazed by the scale size and scope of that Harry Potter section it, it it's amazing uh I don't know what Disney can do to compete with you know Nintendo being there and Harry Potter being there I mean I know Disney you know they own Marvel but as long as as Universal Studios has their current deal with Marvel and they can re-up at any time, Marvel superheroes cannot appear at Disney theme parks in Florida. So you have Marvel, Nintendo, and Harry Potter at one park. Uh, not just that, though. Like Recent information came out that says there's going to be some type of mobile phone integration within that same interview that After Party quoted Reggie in. Uh, he also talked about, you know, their deal with uh, Universal Studios. So let me go ahead and just read that off. Uh, Reggie said, it's a huge opportunity. Uh, what has really been gratifying for me is that the teams between Universal and Nintendo are working tremendously well together. The Universal team not only has a wealth of experience in, cre in creating immersive amusement interactive situations, but they have a great affinity for our IP. What this promises for the guests at Universal Studios theme parks is something that's really magical. These theme parks designers are considering uh, that many of their patrons have a smartphone device. They're thinking about what that means to the overall experience. I'm not going to share anything in this interview but certainly the Universal team is aware of mobile devices. Certainly it is something they are considering as they work with us to create this theme park experience. We all know that Nintendo has had a huge push in the last year with mobile development. Obviously Pokemon Go is a huge hit, you know, for them, Niantic and the Pokemon Company. Uh, Mitomo was a lukewarm success, but a success nonetheless. Um, obviously, it was a it fizzled, but knowing that you know Nintendo may start to integrate their mobile games into the theme park also as a new level of immersion that I don't think can be achieved with other IP from the from the competition. This is very interesting 
um, ideas that that you know Universal and Nintendo are putting together. These are these are huge. These are monumentous. This. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying this deal with Universal Studios is going to be a monumentous moment. It is, and you know, um, the more I hear about it, the more excited I get about this theme park. And I don't think like the average um, consumer, at least people that don't really follow uh, video games or video game news that much, you're not really going to hear about this um, in great detail and probably until 2017. I think next year a lot more specific details come out and uh, this is going to start to become like a, um, a major story. But right now... Um, you know, from what we know, like, it, it just, I mean, I would go to that park for the merchandising alone. If they have a Poké Center there, it's over. I, I mean, you know, have to go on the rise. I mean, of course I would, but, like, just for the Poké Center alone and all of the amazing merchandise that you probably will only ever be able to get at this park. If you've ever wanted, you know, like, the best Nintendo or Pokemon um, merchandise that you could find, you're probably going to find things at this park that you can't find in the store, that you can't find anywhere else, and it's going to be pretty amazing. You know, they also speculated on uh, at this this Nintendo section hosting some esports, like having Smash Brothers tournaments or Pokemon tournament tournaments, and you know, Pokemon championships. All being held at you know the Universal Studios location. Could you imagine like the kind of traffic and the kind of things that could happen if they are able to integrate esports with this Nintendo deal? Like this is one of those type of deals where like the possibilities are sort of endless, and I look forward to it. And I definitely need two very specific rides at this theme park. I need a Donkey Kong minecart ride where you're right along the tracks in a barrel-shaped cart, and I definitely want to play like a Mar. I want to ride in a real-life Mario Kart. Like two things I really look forward to, and everything else after that can be pretty inconsequential because you know it's going to be huge. You know, right now the city of Orlando, you know, uh, Universal Studios is trying to buy 500 acres of land from the city of Orlando so that they can build this expansive park. 500 acres is a lot of land, guys. It's a lot of land. This Nintendo section is going to be massive and glorious, and I totally can't wait to see them build Peach's Castle. Yeah, and as far as the eSports, I mean, it would be nice if they schedule, like, you know, uh, well, if they would hold regularly scheduled tournaments in their... The, the big competitive games like Smash Bros, um, Pokémon, um, Splatoon, just have regular tournaments that happen at the theme park constantly because um, then it would bring in the, the esports crowd as well. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of money to be made in esports nowadays and that's just another way that Nintendo can really u- utilize their status as pop culture icons to to make more competitive style games. Um, that being said, I mean Nintendo has a good amount of games that they can use in an esports capacity. Uh, you can use Mario Kart 
you know, as a racing esport, you have Splatoon as your shooter. You obviously have two nice fighting games with Smash and Pokémon. There is a lot of of you know cross promotion to be had uh, with esports and this theme park. They they could do a lot. They could, and, and I, I know I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself here, but I'm already imagining how great this could be. And, you know, if they were to build, like, some sort of arena in the theme park and, you know, each IP would get its own season, like, for maybe, you know, two months out of the year or three months, it's going to be all about Splatoon. Then when Splatoon season is over, it's going to go into, like, Smash Bros. and then Pokken. And, and so you have these seasons that you get to actually compete in, like, a specific arena that is designed for video game tournaments. I don't think we've ever had that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think anyone has ever built a facility that was designed specifically to hold video game tournaments. No, I mean, most of the time they rent, like, uh, a stadium. Like, you know, Times Square gets rent. Uh, I'm sorry, Madison Square Garden gets rented out for League of Legends tournaments, you know. They rent out the the Bellagio for Evo and whatnot. Like they rent these you know, you know, they they they, they book these convention centers within hotel like large scale hotels and there's no I don't think so. I mean that reminds me of another thing that Nintendo has done as far as you know using their pop culture status. The Nintendo World Championships I mean, which we saw return in uh, 2015. The Nintendo World Championships are also a great way for Nintendo that Nintendo utilized to promote. And it was amazing to see that come back and to see people compete at a multitude of Nintendo franchises. And, you know, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal when they announced they were bringing that back. And it's because Nintendo's IPs are beloved. Even further, man, Splatoon really took off for them in 2015 and 2016. They had holographic concerts featuring the Squid Sisters. Like They have done the most to really promote their IP within the last two years. And it's as a huge Nintendo fan, as a video game lover, it's been nothing short of brilliant, and I've enjoyed every moment of it, man. And the Squid Sisters con concerts were particularly impressive because, I mean, they were packed. You know, people were going to listen to music that's in a language that nobody understands, and they still enjoy it. Yeah, it wasn't even in Japanese. It was in, like, Squiddish. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, those songs are catchy, but... Yeah. I mean, we, we use them for our openers and our closers, man, so... They've done a lot. They have. All right, and the last and most recent thing Nintendo has done that really shows off how truly iconic and how much of a pop culture icon their IPs truly are is that Mario was prominently featured in the Olympics closing ceremony. Uh, unprecedented. Uh, they showed off a lot of characters. During this uh, closing ceremony, Pac-Man had a presence there. Hello Kitty, Doraemon, lots of, you know, things that we associate with J Japan and Japanese culture. But Mario was the most prominent of all the characters featured. And 
was amazing. Like the closing ceremonies ended on a truly high note, and it just showcases what an ambassador Mario truly is, and how much of a pop culture icon he is. Uh, to go even further, this does two things for Nintendo. This allows them, one, it allows them to really merchandise Mario in a way that has never been done before, and two, having Mario as the official Olympic mascot could be huge. And not, you know, merch the merchandising rights alone, you know, you could see Mario appear on soccer jerseys, you know, T-shirts, shorts, cleats. Mario can appear on all of these things, and it's, and it just, it's a boon for Nintendo, and it really showcases how beloved Mario is. And, you know, among other Nintendo IPs, it doesn't just have to be limited to Mario. And this goes without saying, we already have Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. Those games sell like hotcakes, you know, whenever the Olympics roll around. So it's not like Mario hasn't already been an ambassador of the Olympics. You know, Nintendo has gone to great lengths to make sure that Mario is present at the Olympics in some capacity. You know, most of the time that's via, you know, video games, but now this could be a tremendous thing. You know, most of the time the host country for the Olympics creates a new mascot, and Japan may not need to do that. They could utilize Mario and other Nintendo IP to showcase the Olympics, and that is a very awesome thought because if they make any kind of Mario merchandise for the, you know, the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, I'm all over that stuff. It is, and I mean, it's it's amazing because, like, when you think about it, um, even whether you really get into the Olympics or not, how many mascots can you recall from the previous Olympics? None, None. probably, unless you're, like, really weird or you have some photographic memory because nobody remembers the mascots. The mascots are all that are created are always generic. They're never memorable. I mean... It's like the Eurovision of mascots. That's what the Olympics is because everyone's there to just focus on the athletes. But you're right. This is the first time where the mascot has already been created before, beforehand, and they're using something that is so iconic. I mean, Nintendo is going to make a lot of money off this, and it's free marketing. Like They don't have to do anything because billions of people are going to be exposed to their IP because it's the mascot. And because it's a mascot that people are already familiar with, I mean, it's just Nintendo's going to make a lot of money on this. And there's probably a lot of other companies out there that are very jealous because, you know, um, it's almost unfair. Like, they, they're going to be receiving so much, um, so much uh, press, so much attention um, that's going to be placed on their merchandise and so when you're you know Olympic you know t-shirts or you know headbands or, or hats you know you're gonna have probably some that with the Pokemon because uh, I'm pretty sure that Game Freak will get in there and, and you'll have Pokemon uh, in some of that and you're gonna have Mario and Luigi and all the other Nintendo IPs and um, you know I think it it's it's a nice um, point to end on because we really, as we're talking about Nintendo's influence 
in pop culture and how far they've come since the 80s all the way to now, um, I think it really is like, you know, the, the, the cherry on top of the cake that, or, you know, or the icing on the cake that, I mean, Nintendo has, has come from, you know, just being a video game company to being so transcendent that now they are the mascot for the 2020 Olympics in Japan. Yeah, man, you you couldn't have said it any better than that. Like everything you said, like I couldn't say it any better myself, man. Like it's true. Like they are transcendent, and it's something that I think only now in 2016 they are truly aware of. Um, you know, I think Marvel, you know, you know, it's another company that has had that has similar IP as far as like global recognition. Um, they went through very similar growing pains. Um, they were able to turn it around with film and whatnot. Uh, Nintendo has done it in a in a different way, but you know, it's 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 interesting to see how ingrained things like Mario and Pokemon, even even Zelda, and now with now Splatoon, it's it's amazing to see how ingrained these things are becoming into our culture, into our daily lives, uh, especially Pokemon. Pokemon has found a new way of ingraining itself into our daily lives. Like it's something we do on a daily basis. Over a hundred million people downloaded Pokemon Go. It's it's an interesting. What a time to be alive, right? Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, before we, you know, we're gonna hit you up with our closing thoughts. Um, let me go first. Uh, After party said it best. Nintendo is truly transcendent of the of of the games that they make. Like the their IP really starts to outshine their games to the point where they're the most globally recognizable characters on the planet right now. More popular than Mickey Mouse. And, you know, that's... Could you imagine saying something like that back in the 20s when Mickey Mouse was king, that he would be dethroned? No, man, it's Mario. Mario is the most globally recognized character on the planet. Adults know Mario, and kids know Mario, and everybody in between. That says a lot as to where... Nintendo really stands. Uh, and there are always going to be a lot of naysayers who say that Nintendo needs to stop making consoles and needs to you know, stop making games for just their consoles and move towards mobile and move towards third-party status. Um, I think Nintendo's at a point where they're saying we don't need to do that. We can utilize our IP in a variety of ways that accentuates, you know, the hardware and the games that we make. Um, I'm glad that within the last few years, they've actually moved on those ideas that they've had. The Vans deal, the Universal Studios deal, uh, you know, making mobile games. I'm, like, they, they've come to truly embrace their status as pop culture icons, and they're utilizing it far more successfully than I think they've done, you know, in the 30-plus years of Mario. 
After Party, what about you, bro? Well, you know, Nintendo has received a lot of criticism in the last year, and you can say what you want about the Wii U, and, you know, there are some people out there that, um, you know, are too cool for Nintendo because they say, oh, Nintendo just makes games for kids. That's already been disproven with Pokemon Go. The majority of people playing Pokemon Go are in their 20s, and it was designed, it was marked to appeal to the millennial generation anyway that grew up with it. So, you know, but one thing that you really can't argue is that Nintendo can do with their IPs what no one else can. Nobody else, you know, in the video game industry can take an IP and turn it into a theme park that's bigger than the Harry Potter world. Nobody else can take their IPs and, you know, really, I mean, become the mascot for an entire country for the Olympics. Um, and even though there there are um, video game IPs out there that have um, done well when they've been merchandised and, and translated into shirts, hats, you know, clothes, um, Nintendo's exclusive deal with Vans proves that, you know, Nintendo is so big that they can make exclusive deals with some of these companies uh, to promote their IPs. So, you know, even though Nintendo has received a lot of criticism in the last year, you know, they're still proving time and time again that when it comes to the power of their intellectual properties and the quality of games and merchandise that they produce, they're really second to none. That's how you do, man. That's how you that's how you roll those closing thoughts off, bro. Woo! Yeah, goosebumps. So <laughs> that's all I got, man. I mean, uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, you want to hit them up with the social media links? Yes, guys. You can always hit us up on Twitter at nice183 and at Mario After Party. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash nice1983gamecollecting. You can hit us up on our website, nice1983.wix.com slash gamecollecting. You can always watch new videos that we post on YouTube. And if you're a huge fan of the Splat Zones, like the huge amount of growing audience that we are starting to see with every episode, you can catch new episodes on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and you can watch the video versions here on YouTube. Guys, that's going to be it for this episode. My after party, you got anything left to say, bro? Man, stay fresh. Stay fresh. Deuces. Wish it.